Hello everyone, my name is Robert Winfrey, and welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. This is your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts, and other combat sports on occasion when I feel so inclined. I bring that up this week because, in the absence of an MMA event of note to review, there was some pretty darn good boxing over the weekend, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Now, I'm not going to open with that because this remains primarily an MMA podcast. Consequently, out of respect to those of you who might not be interested in hearing me talk about certain boxing events, I'm going to start with the UFC preview and then move on to talking a little bit about the boxing stuff after the fact. There are timestamps in the description of the podcast if you're so inclined to skip ahead or whatnot, so uh, that's up there, but... I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosos, as well as Stephen Fulton and Brandon Figueroa, uh, both of which were highly, highly entertaining fights for very different reasons. Different styles, very different styles. But we'll talk a little bit about those because I want to. <laughs> uh, there's not always big boxing, and I, I watched both of those live. I did a, a live watch along with Mark for uh, Lopez and Cambosos, so... Uh, I, I feel like talking about them here, now that I've had a little bit of time for some of that to settle. So, that's up here. Also, uh, big thing's going to be a preview of UFC on ESPN 31. That's this coming Saturday. Not a bad card, actually. Uh, I've kind of dumped on a few of these because I don't think they've been very good cards on paper. We got a good main event and some pretty solid supporting stuff. So there's at least... There's two really good fights, and then the two other main card fights that we currently know of are... Uh, I'm not terribly, uh, on paper they don't really get me going, but I can see the potential, and that needs to be acknowledged about them. So, we'll go over that, again, we'll talk a little bit about the boxing results, a few small pieces of news that have come out, uh, so, and then of course anything that might have be, uh, breaking while we're talking here. So, with that out of the way, let's get into UFC on ESPN 31, this will come to the world this Saturday from the, Ape the UFC Apex facility. Main event at Bantamweight, Rob Font and Jose Aldo. This is a good fight. I'm curious to see how Aldo does over five rounds of Bantamweight. Uh, he obviously did okay against Peter Jan and then faded badly down the stretch en route to being stopped. How much of that is a uh, kind of consistent problem for him when it comes to being at bantamweight, or how much of that was just he's in there with the best bantamweight in the world at that point in time and still today, in my opinion on Jan, and how much of that you know, was a factor of who he was in there with versus uh, something that kind of exists independently of that. Since the loss to Jan, Aldo's won two in a row, both of which have gone the full three-round distance. Uh, he beat Marlon Vera and Pedro Munoz. Neither of those were contested decisions. Vera, I think, took the second round, and then but clearly lost one and two. Munoz, was Munoz all three? I forget how I scored that. Uh, officially, it was 30-27 across the board. I imagine that's what I had it. I'd have to double-check, but uh, that's my thought as far as the scoring goes. So, Aldo seems to be finding himself at bantamweight. Um... Again, I've got to stress this. If you weren't around when Jose Aldo was a uh, featherweight and struggling to make 145 at times, when he said he was moving to bantamweight, a lot, I was highly skeptical. Uh, but 
he altered his, I think kind of the, I don't know how much, I don't know exactly how much truth there is, but his stance on this has just been, yeah, I cleaned up my diet pretty heavily <laughs> uh, you know, just in my regular life, and that made the cut to 135 doable. And, I, I mean, I don't imagine it's worse than some of his featherweight cuts if he was not being as mindful about his diet. But uh, five rounds for him at, feather, at bantamweight again. I'm a little curious to see how he'll hold up. He's fighting a guy in Rob Font who's a very, very well-rounded fighter. Font has smooth hands, a good jab, a good overall game. Both gentlemen are very well-rounded. In pure jiu-jitsu, Jose Aldo has the edge, would be my inclination. I don't know who's going... I imagine Font is going to try to force the grappling before Aldo does. That's, that's a hunch. Uh, Font doesn't mind mixing things up like that, although he'll take you down if the opportunity presents itself, but that tends to be uh, lower on his list of priorities. Uh, the size difference might be a problem for uh, for Font here. Font is he's a lanky guy for bantamweight. He's 5'8". And what's his reach? 71 and a half. Aldo, he's taller than Aldo, actually, jeez. Because Aldo's only 5'7". Change my thought process on this. Uh, not much. I'm curious about the leg length. I mean, I think Font might have an advantage there, but... Uh, Jose Aldo's good about... Uh, pretty good about getting inside. He's good defensively. I think the downside to Aldo's defense is that a lot of it relies on his kind of reflexes and... He's got a habit of slipping and then coming back to the center line. And that's how Max Holloway kind of tuned him up. And it's one of the things Jan was able to find some success on. Now, there's a lot more that went into it than that. This is not, you know, the golden bullet here. But it, it, it is a bit of a tendency that he has. Now, he gets away with it because most people in MMA don't throw in real combinations. It, you tend not to get a lot of combination work. So slipping, letting the first, letting either one punch sail by or one and then a follow-up that is already off trajectory uh, is not the worst idea in the world. It's still just something that can be exploited. Uh, Font's legs, he's a little bit vulnerable to leg kicks. Uh, I don't know if Aldo will choose to use them all that much. He's gotten back to them a little bit. Uh but Font's a terribly underappreciated fighter. His only losses in the UFC are to John Lineker, Pedro Munoz, and Rafael Asensio. He's on a four-fight winning streak. Um, he stopped Marlon Moraes in the first round, coming off a significant win when he beat former champion Cody Garbrandt. Uh, Font might... I, I hate to say he might you know, get a title shot off of this, because... Only. Because the top of bantamweight right now is still kind of a mess. Uh, you've still got Aljamain Sterling. We're not sure on his time on his return timetable. You've got Jan holding the interim belt. Uh, you've got T.J. Dillashaw recovering from knee surgery. Sandhagen just losing to Dillash to uh, not Dillashaw. Right? I mean, he did lose to Dillashaw. I thought he won that fight, but Selavi. But losing to Jan does kind of. He's going to need a couple. But you've still got the mo the water is just a little bit muddied here. If Font's able to do something very impressive. Uh, they, like if he stops Aldo, I don't think he will, but if he does, uh, 
that might that might get him and Yana date. Again, this is somewhat contingent on the return table of Aljamain Sterling. Or if the UFC decides they've had enough of Sterling and strip him of the title and then just promote Yana to full champion, which they can do if they're so inclined because there are no legal protections for champions and very few legal protections for fighters overall in the UFC. But that's, uh, you know, we've talked about that in the past, and I don't feel compelled to bang that drum too much. It just needs to be brought up that it's, it's still a thing. So, Aldo, I don't know that Aldo would crack a title shot. Um, he's got the fact that Jan, Jan beat the brakes off of him, man. Uh, that was a competitive enough fight through three rounds. I still scored it for Jan through three. But when we hit that hit rounds four and five, like that just got worse and worse and worse. And that's which is usually what happens when you fight Jan. He's one of those kinds of fighters. Uh, especially the fact that Aldo's only won two. If Aldo does something spectacular, which he hasn't done for a while, uh, he's just not quite that same guy that he used to be when it comes to pulling out the spectacular. But he might. And if he does, he might earn himself a number one contender's fight. Like That's very much on the table for... I tend to think the winner of this is one win away from a title shot. Now, still contingent on the champion situation becoming sorted uh, to a, in some way. But it's a, it's a good fight, very relevant for the division. My instinct is still to pick Jose Aldo. Uh... He's revitalized himself in this weight class. He's still he's still got fast hands. He's still got good defense. He's still almost impossible to take down. Not completely impossible, but almost. He's good about getting back up. His overall jiu-jitsu game is still very high. I'm going to lean towards Aldo, but I very much anticipate this fight. This, this has some real potential. So does the co-main event at lightweight, Brad Riddell and Rafael Fiziev. This, is, this has the potential to be a big striker's delight. You've got Fiziev, who was at one point the striking coach at, uh, I think it was Tiger Muay Thai. He's, he's done that. He's a very, very talented striker. Uh, he's currently at Sanford. Which is a, you know, uh, a very well-regarded camp. You know, Fiziev only has the one loss. It was his UFC debut. He's won four in a row. Uh, some of those very, very good. Uh, where Then you have Brad Riddell, who is one of the kickboxing coaches at uh, City Kickboxing. Uh, I think he also does... He might have been the head coach at Tiger... One of the coaches at Tiger Muay Thai at some point. I think, he's, I think that's listed on his resume here. So he's... Uh, he's a very good striker as well. Undefeated in the UFC... Uh, I think the biggest question mark I have around this fight... Now, these two have very different styles. Fiziev is... Both men are very technical, or can be technical. Fiziev tends to employ a more... Uh, a little bit cleaner style, whereas Riddell, I think he uglies up his technique intentionally to deal with uh, some of the people he's been fighting against. And it's led... It's clearly led to his success, so I don't mean to besmirch him in that way. I, he's more than talented enough a fighter to understand how to do things technically correct. So when he doesn't, 
I tend to think it's for a deliberate reason. Or, you know, sometimes not. Maybe he just likes fighting in that respect. You know, some some people who are wonderful coaches aren't always the best in competition at, at certain things that they teach. You know, I imagine if you took classes from Brad Riddell, he, would, he might get on you for doing some of the things that he does in a fight because that's not the way you should train to do it. But, of course, how you train to do things and how you do things in the cage, you want to narrow the gap between those two, but there are differences. Uh, there's always the difference of trying to deal with another complex uh, human being trying to stop you doing what you want to do. So, uh, The big question mark for me is not so much who's going to find a lot of strikes. I think they're both going to land on each other. It's, a, it's more the gas tank of Fiziv. He faded badly in the third round when he fought Bobby Green. And if Riddell can force him into a high-paced fight earlier... Uh, he, that's an avenue he might be able to pursue. Uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to this one. I'm curious, I will be curious to see if either of them decides that grappling is the better way to go. I don't know who might choose to do that first, uh, or if either one finds a real advantage there. My inclination as far as a pick for this one, I'm going to lean towards Riddell, but... Uh, this one has some serious potential to be uh, to be a really, really good fight. Um, I'm just going to throw this out there just for the record. We don't have a full bout order for everything yet that is currently listed here. So these other two fights are what we have listed for the main card. We have a couple that we know are on the prelims, and then everything else is kind of floating at the moment. So uh, I apologize if I go over these in incorrect order. That's where we are at the moment. But as far as the main card, at light heavyweight, Jimmy Crude and Jamal Hill. Uh, Hill had a... He came into the UFC, beat Darko Stasic, um, had a... Wound up going to a no contest with Clinton Abreu, beat Ovin St. Preux. It was a pretty good win. And then uh, his last fight, he got smashed up by Paul Craig in fairly short order. Now, Crute has been a guy that's looked a little bit like the future. That Both of these gentlemen have looked very good and light heavyweight is a division that needs that. Crute uh, has a pretty good UFC record. He's coming off of a loss to Anthony Smith. Um, that was an odd round. It was stopped between rounds one and two. He was jabbing up Anthony Smith's face pretty clearly. Smith was landing leg kicks, and he landed one that just um, just gave Crute dead leg. Um, and he, between rounds, he couldn't quite get the feeling back, so... When they started, went to start the second, and the doctor, you know, the refs are like, okay, I need you to walk to me. And he couldn't quite do it, and waved it off. Understandable. Uh, I don't think it was, you know, it clearly wasn't, like, damaging to the, damage to the ligament. It was just you know, one of those kicks that happened to hit the nerve just right, and everything goes to sleep. And you know, you know, you know he was walking around backstage, you know, three minutes later, no problem. But you only get a minute between rounds to recover, so you've got to make of that what you can. Uh, I'm going to lean towards Crute here. I think he's a little bit more proven of a commodity than Hill, but uh, that's a little bit of a shot in the dark on my part. Um, these are two guys who are still fairly young. Hill's what? old is he? Hill's 30. And Crute's, Crute's right around there, too, right? Crute's only 25, jeez. Young guy. 
Born in 1996. It's 11 years old when this guy was born, give or take. Uh, I feel old. I feel old, people. I just do. So I'm going to lean towards Crute, but uh, not a bad fight, potentially. And what we have listed here, kicking off the main card, we have Brendan Allen and Chris Curtis. Uh, Allen has only one loss uh, in the UFC. That being a TKO loss to Sean Strickland. He's won two in a row since then, submitting Carl Robertson and then beating Punahele Soriano. Uh, Allen's a very legit middleweight. Was this always this fight? Because... No. Yeah, Curtis is taking this on somewhat short notice. Um, Allen was supposed to fight Brad Tavares. Makes a lot more sense, actually, given where both of them are, respectively. So, I... You know, look, Chris Curtis might surprise everyone. Uh, let me double-check him. Name is mildly familiar, but I don't think he's the Chris... I don't think he's the Chris Curtis that I think he is, for whatever that's worth. Look at this. He is... Oh, he might be, actually. He's 27... Yeah, he is. He's the guy... He knocked out Phil Hawes. Um, geez, at the beginning of the month. At UFC 268. Um, he's had a weird career, man. Uh, if you follow his, if you followed his career, he's had some serious ups and downs. Uh, he's had some. He's a guy who's been around for a while. I mean, he started fighting in what 2009, I think. Yeah, he's. Yeah, um, I'm still going to. I'm still going to pick uh, Brendan Allen, but Allen's had a few striking uh, defensive liabilities, and Chris Curtis hits more than hard enough to uh, to really make him pay if he is not minding his defense. So I'm picking Allen, but uh, I don't know where the odds sit, but I would not be shocked at all to see anyone picking Curtis. Would not be shocked at all if he wins. As it currently stands, that's the main card. As for the prelims, um, we have two, and then again, I'm going to get into the non-bout order stuff, as far as I know. At flyweight, uh, Manel Kopp and Jalgas Zumagulov. Uh, Kopp had a decent enough win his last time out, but he missed weight, and not a good thing. Uh, he's still at flyweight. Um, we'll have to see how he does on the scales. Uh, I imagine if he misses again, he's going to be bound for bantamweight, because... You've just got to be able to make weight. If you sign to fight at a, at a weight class, you have to make the weight. Uh, whereas Zuma, uh, Zuma Gulov, both guys coming off of their first UFC wins. I'm still going to lean towards Kopp, but uh, I wouldn't sleep on Zuma Gulov necessarily. And at welterweight, Jake Matthews and Jeremiah Wells. Uh, Jake Matthews, man. Guy with... Uh, we all saw a lot of potential in him at various points along the way. You know, he debuted in the UFC in 2014. A uh, very young man when he did so. Had ups and downs. Fought, fought at lightweight for a lot of that time. And then moved up to welterweight where he seems much... Like, he's much healthier at welterweight. Uh, coming off of a loss to Sean Brady. Did he take that fight at middleweight or something? 
Or are you confusing Sean Brady with someone else? Uh, I think I am. What am I confusing him with? No, I'm not. I, I'm not confusing Sean Brady with anyone. I thought he was a middleweight for some reason. I don't know why I thought that. He's he's a welterweight. He's been a welterweight for the whole UFC. He's all UFC run. I, weird. Uh, but you know, Brady also just barely beat uh, beat my, he beat Michael Chiesa and Brady's now uh, I think Brady's ranked in the top ten now so not the worst loss you could have. Um, is Jeremiah Wells? I I feel I feel pretty good picking Matthews here. Um, Wells, double check him real fast. Uh, one is UFC debut. Yeah, he beat Warley Alves. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm picking I'm picking Matthews here, but uh, as I mentioned, I'm not not going to be shocked if that one goes the other way. So as so as for the rest of the car, the fights we have again, the bout order I think is still a little bit fluid at the moment for a number of reasons. So lightweight fight Chris Gritzmacher and Claudio Puez. Um, I'm gonna pick Gritzmacher, but I might feel very very stupid about that. Uh, Mallory Martin and Cheyenne Bays. Didn't she change her name? Am I thinking of somebody else? Um, yeah, I want to say... Yeah, I want to say she got divorced and went back to her maiden name. I'd have to double check that. Um, anyway. Uh, Bay's got a pretty decent win in her last fight. A uh, nice head kick on the get up. A legal one, but a, a really nice one. Um, she is fighting again, Mallory Martin. Martin is. Sorry, the last name thing threw me there. I think Bay's has gone back to her maiden name, but I'll have to double check that uh, the closer we get to the event. Martin is one and two in the UFC, uh, coming off of a loss to Pollyanna Viana. I'm gonna pick Bays here, uh, but yeah, I'm gonna pick Bays. Uh, Brian Barberina is allegedly on this card. He was supposed to fight Matt Brown. Boy, that would have been good. Um, that would have been so good. But Matt Brown had a positive COVID test, so hopefully he's. Uh, either asymptomatic or, you know, doesn't have a serious strain of it and they can rebook that fight and he stays healthy. Uh, so no word on if he will stick on the card or not. Well, at, at the moment, he does not have an opponent. If they keep him on the card, I feel pretty confident picking him in the dark. Uh, Bantamweight, Louis Smolka and Vince Morales. Ah, oh, Smolka, man. I like Louis Smolka and he got a good win his last time out. Uh, when he beat Jose Alberto Quinones. But he's been he's been real up and down. Whereas I tend to think Mora um, Morales has he is better than his record in the UFC indicates. He's two and three in the UFC. His lot you have to kind of look at his losses. Now first of all one of those is featherweight and he was stopped by Chris Gutierrez. He has a loss to Song Yadong and Benito Lopez and I think both of those guys. I mean, Song, obviously, is still doing good stuff, and Lopez, I think, is underappreciated. Uh, I'm I'm actually... I'm going to pick Smolka, but 
I might, that's kind of a coin flip. Like, I feel, I don't feel confident in that at all. A lightweight fight. Clay Guida will fight Leonardo Santos. I don't know why Clay Guida is still employed. Um, Leonardo Santos is actually fighting twice in one year for the first time since 2015. Uh, I am, look, this, this is kind of what happens when Clay Guida fights a decent jiu-jitsu guy. He's going to get tagged a little bit on the feet. He's going to shoot desperately. He's going to get caught in something. Um, I'm picking Santos here. I I can't, I cannot in good conscience pick Clay Guida to win a fight in 2021. Unless he's fighting like me. He could beat the crap out of me, but I'm not a professional fighter. Uh, welterweight fight, Alex Morono and Mickey Gall. That, that could be interesting. Um, if Gall's fixed his gas tank, he'll, that's his, that's been his big limiting factor is he's dangerous on the ground. He's got decent power, but there's a lot of refinement that he didn't get to do on the regional scene and he gets tired and that's, that's just not a winning combination most of the time. Which should surprise no one. Um, Morono's good. He's just been a little bit hit and miss. Um, I'm going to pick Morono. I think he's the more seasoned fighter. But Gaul surprised a lot of people in the past. Uh, myself included. Uh, I Gaul's also been trading wins and losses for a bit. And he's coming off of a win... So if he gets one here, it'll be his first winning streak since 2016. Uh, I'm going to pick Morano. Let's see. Middleweight, Maki Patolo, and Dusko Todorovic. That that might be a brawl. Um, Maki Coconut Bombs, Patolo. One UFC win on a three-fight losing streak. Um, choked out by Darren Stewart. Lost a decision to Kasanga and I got choked out by Julian Marquez. That was a decent enough fight, though. Um, here's Todorovic. Lost his last two. Um, this is this might be loser leaves town. Uh, it really might. I'm gonna pick Patolo, but there's a real question about whether or not either of these gentlemen should be in the UFC at this point. Let's put it like that. Uh, light heavyweight. See. Yeah, light heavyweight, Jared Vandera and Azmat uh, Mirzakhanov. This is not Mirzakhanov's UFC debut. Let me double check. Azmat Mirzakhanov. I think he had a. Uh, no, sorry, it was a, it was a, um, it was a contender series fight, not a UFC fight. They've been trying to get him in the, like he got signed and then he's had two fights fall apart. Uh, yeah. This was supposed to be him and Felipe Linz, I believe. Uh, look at Vandera. Is it Vander? I can never remember. Uh, he did okay against, uh, Alexander Romanov before he got taken down in the second. I'm actually going to pick Mirzakhanov here. Uh, might, again, might not play that way, but... I tend to think a little bit more highly of his abilities based on what I've seen. And another light heavyweight fight, William Knight and Alonzo Menafield. Two very jacked human beings. Uh, William Knight coming off a win over Fabio, uh, excuse me, Fabio Chiron. 
and Alonzo Menafield on a two-fight winning streak. I'm going to pick Menafield, but these two sling power. Uh, somebody's probably going to sleep. Uh, very good chance of that. So that's the card as it currently stands, and I will have coverage in the MMAZona411mania.com this Saturday. So if you're so inclined, please do stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. Uh, all right, let's see where we are. Okay, Ooh, that was a quick preview. Uh, might be losing my touch. Normally I'm a little bit more verbose than that, but uh, the card kind of is what it is in some respects. I'm also still dealing with a little bit of the post-Thanksgiving glow, so uh, I should be back to talking as much as I normally do next week, I guess. All right, let's dip over to boxing for a minute or two here. Uh, there were a couple, there were several uh, notable boxing events. There were, well, there was also Triller doing their mixed boxing and MMA shenanigans. Um, Frank Mir is very lucky that uh, Pulev didn't kill him. Like, there was an uppercut right before that fight ended that if it had hit, oof. Um, yeah, poor Frank Mir. Um, Albert Tumanov looked pretty good at the Triller event. Um, that's a guy who should probably be in the UFC again at this point. Uh, I, I think he's been overdue a return. Uh, let's see. So there was, there was that. I don't want to dedicate too much time to Triller. Uh, let's talk about probably the biggest... Uh, the biggest result. Your, I'm going to say, unified in air quotes, for a very specific reason. Um, your unified lightweight champion in boxing, which is 135 pounds, right about there. Um, some boxing, some boxing weight classes end in a five or a zero. Most don't, but some do. I think it's 135 though, because of how some of the other weight class. It doesn't matter. Point being. Uh, Teofimo Lopez, who defeated Vasily Lomachenko for most of the belts. There's one belt, as far as lightweight goes, that's a little bit in dispute. Um, the, the I think it was WBC. It's WBC or WBO, and I, I forgive me, I can't remember which one. One of those two titles is... Um, Lopez was the franchise champion, not the real champion. The real champion in that for that group was Devin Haney. They didn't want to strip him of the belt for, I don't know, reasons. Um, the boxing's relationship with titles and whatnot is certainly a long-debated subject. Point being, the other three were the real were the real deal. So certainly three of the four, and then a loose version of the fourth. Uh, Lopez was. Now, this fight had been... They'd tried to put this fight together for a while. Cambosos was the mandatory challenger for the winner of uh, Lomachenko and Lopez. And then Triller... The the fight went to a purse bid because Lopez and Bob Arum had a bit of a falling out over how much money that fight was worth. Triller overbid for it. Screwed around for a bunch of time with about about dates and venues. And then uh, Lopez had a bout of COVID that postponed things. Triller eventually threw their hands up and defaulted on their down payment for the fight. The fight went to the second highest bid, which was Eddie Hearn and Matchroom. And in short order, the fight was made, had a date, and took place. <laughs> One of these groups is a professional 
boxing promotion group. The other is a glorified sales pitch for a music app that is allegedly a competitor to TikTok. And I say allegedly because, well, allegedly, in theory, the newest signee for the UFC at heavyweight is a competitor for Francis Ngannou. But, well, one of these things is not like the other. I don't even use TikTok personally, but yeah, it's... You ain't competition, guys. Anyway. Uh, in that fight, George Cambosos defeats Teofimo Lopez via split decision. Um, uh, I mentioned this before, but Mark Radlich and I did some live watch-along stuff, which if you're curious, you can find over on the uh, W2M network websites and whatnot. Uh, we live. It was live streamed through a bunch of different avenues, actually. Um, Tw- Mark's Twitter feed, the W2M Network Twitter feed, both of their Facebooks, U- the W2M Net YouTube, and their Twitch channel. So if any of those sound appealing to you, um, you can find that there. And Mark and I again just did watch-along stuff for it. Watching it live, and without sound, because I have to be able to listen to Mark and carry on a conversation. Uh, we, I think I gave it to Lopez by a, I didn't give it to Lopez by a hair, sorry. I'm, I think the way I broke down scoring it, uh, I, I didn't officially keep a round-by-round tally for that fight, but um, I think when the last round closed... I forget how I scored it live. Because I, I rewatched the fight when I could just watch the fight. And I scored it for Cambosos when I just watched the fight. <laughs> um, doing it live, I might have had a hair towards Lopez. I might have. I forget. Um, this was an, uh, a weird performance out of Teofimo Lopez. If you watch his fight with Lomachenko and then watch his fight here, it's almost like they're not the same person. Um, Lopez came out like a bat out of hell. He wanted to get this fight over and done with. He was swinging power punches. He was recklessly aggressive. He got, and it was working okay for him. I say okay. Then towards the end of the round, he gets caught with an overhand right as he's a little bit off balance. And to be clear, the punch lands clean and knocks him down. And he, uh, I think had he actually been in his stance instead of kind of where he was, he might not have been knocked down. And I don't say that to kind of dismiss the knockdown or the scoring. I say that because Cambosos is not a big puncher. And Teofimo Lopez has a heck of a chin. It was a it was a punch that landed clean. I'm not disputing the call of that being a knockdown. It's more, had Lopez been fighting more to his capabilities, does that punch knock him down? I tend to think not. Uh, But you get knocked down, and especially if you haven't lost the round big up until that point, you win the round, you win at 10-8. Lopez got back on the horse after that. He settled down a little bit. Unfortunately, there's a couple of things that worked against him the longer this fight went. He didn't seem to have a lot of setups. And he kept doing the same thing. Uh, It works in places. He actually got a knockdown of his own in the 10th, and that was a bad knockdown. Uh... I give Cambosos all the credit in the world for not only gutting through that knockdown, for coming back and then winning the 11th and 12th, which he probably needed. 
I'd have to double check the official scorecards, but I certainly thought he needed them. Uh, at at times, this fight was razor close. Um, at various points, I think the official score had it a uh, the unofficial score had it a draw, which doesn't shock me. Rewatching it, some of those rounds were not as close as they appeared live, at least not to me. Uh, so I, I was a little bit cleaner going with Cambosos. Um, again, on rewatch, I, I scored it for Cambosos without too much controversy. That said, doing it live and knowing just some of the fallibility in places of how that goes, um, I don't... I'm not going to do the hot take think of, thing of saying, you know, there's no way to score that fight for Lopez. I think there's a, there's at least one round that I think Cambosos won fairly that should not have been that close that you might have to squint a little bit, but um, Lopez also w looked horribly reliant on his punching power. And while he landed on Cambosos, he never quite landed the real damaging shots. He marked up his face, and there were a couple of times when he battered Cambosos around the ring. Like, Lopez's punching power is legit. But he could never really sustain it. And he could never really kind of disarm Cambosos the way he did Lomachenko in places. Now, also, Lomachenko just took a lot longer to get going in that fight against Lopez than a lot of us thought he would. And that's ultimately what bit him. Uh, again, some of that is to the credit of Lopez. Who, that fight with Lo, with Lomachenko was a magnificent performance out of Lopez. Then here he comes out and looks a little bit one-dimensional, again, a little bit over-reliant on power. And ultimately, he is outboxed. Camboso stayed mobile. Um, he would occasionally get into pocket exchanges, but nothing prolonged. Uh, he stayed sharp with his defense. And he just kind of kept peppering at him. Uh, it was either he kept peppering at him, or sometimes the roles were reversed, where you'd get rounds where Lopez would do some good work. Nothing earth-shattering, but some good work. And then Cambosos would find the punctuated moment that might stick in your head better. So, uh, great, great win for Cambosos. He was a sign He was a... Look, Lopez was a minus 900 favorite, I seem to recall, at the uh, start of the fight. Now, if you're only familiar with how with MMA odds and whatnot, you might think that's a prohibitive favorite. And don't get me wrong, it's a big favorite. It's almost 10 to 1. But that's a little bit more common in boxing, especially with mandatory challengers, and that's what Cambosos was. He was the mandatory. It's a bit more common to see odds more along, like minus 700, minus 900. Minus 900 is still big. I, I don't mean to undersell the this uh, numerical significance of what Cambosos did here as far as the upset. I'm just saying that if you're not, if you don't watch a lot of boxing, um, fights like this tend to have wider odds like that. And they usually do for a reason. Now, I don't know exactly what caused Lopez to fall apart in this fight kind of the way he did. But there's a few factors we need to consider. Now, as I mentioned, I don't know the specifics, but... Here's things that we know have been an issue for ha, are contributing factors that that played into this would be my guess. One was ring one, r ring rust. This fight 
was over a year after the Lomachenko fight, that kind of time off can be a real problem. Uh, Lopez might have overtrained or undertrained. You can't do both at the same time, but one or the other is certainly not out of the question. Uh, he might have overlooked Cambosos as a threat. And sometimes, mentally, if you don't give the other guy a snowball's chance in hell, and he's there, and he's there, and he's there, and you're having to fight, um, it can throw you off. Especially if you don't game plan properly, if you're not drilled properly. You know, if, if his entire game plan was, I'm going to knock this chump out in three rounds, well, you've got to have fallback plans, so by the if he's still there in the eighth, you know, you're not just sitting here swinging for the fences and hoping. He also had a battle with COVID. And one of the things that really badly hurt Lopez in this fight was down the stretch, his cardio started abandoning him pretty clearly. Um, he straight up took the 11th round off, my read on it. Uh, I think he was trying to preserve himself for a 12th where he could then, you know, really do something and he couldn't. So COVID might have done a number on his cardiovascular system. Or he undertrained. Both of those things are possible. Here's the other thing to consider. Put those two gentlemen next to each other in the ring. One of them is much bigger. The cut to 135, the lightweight cut for Teofimo Lopez, has long been a bit of a problem. He was very public after beating Lomachenko that he was not going to stick around this division for very much longer. I think the plan was two more fights. Um... Again, the, the publicly stated plan, however much value you want to put on what a fighter and their manager and their team say publicly, beat Kambosos, do a rematch with Lomachenko, move up to 140 or 147, I think? Is 147 super welterweight? 47 might be super. Uh, I Forgive me, I'd have to double check. But, point being, move up. Move up to 140 or you know, 147-ish. Maybe 5. That's going to bug me, but I'll look it up later. Um, but that was the plan. The plan was, the, he knows this is not a sustainable weight class for him. It's it's not an easy weight to make. If he had a bad cut, that could easily, horribly impact his your cardio. And you mix all this together in some kind of cocktail, and you you get a lifeless performance. And that's really what this was, especially the longer it went on. In the aftermath of this fight, there's a few things that we have to kind of sort out. I don't think there will be an immediate rematch. Immediate rematches in title fights, um, if you're in the United States in particular, a champion does not always does not have a contractually mandated rematch for a mandatory challenger. Uh this is why, you know, uh, for Anthony Joshua, in a lot of respects, he does a lot of signing of his bouts, you know, uh, uh, for England and whatnot, uh, for other places in the world. Because, and I, I let me be clear, this is not me saying Joshua is some kind of cheat or Eddie Hearn is a scummy promoter. Most promoters are scummy. It kind of is what it is in that respect. And he's far from alone in that, uh, in that, in trying to exploit the legalities. There's nothing illegal about signing a boxing match against a mandatory challenger and having an immediate rematch clause if you have that fight, you know, in other locations where that's not against the law. I tend to think, I think it is here, I might be mistaken on my boxing laws here, so forgive me if I am. Uh, 
I don't believe Cambosis is guaranteed an immediate rematch. Is kind of the long and the short of that. They might still do it. I don't mean to imply that they won't or can't. But Vasily Lomachenko has a fight coming up in December. He's also won one fight since the loss. He appeared one other time since the loss to Lopez. Looked pretty darn good getting that win. If he wins again, he might be able to claim mandatory title, mandatory challenger status to uh, Cambosis' belts, or at least one of them. And then he can force that particular issue as far as being the next in line. They also might try to do a rematch. That's somewhat up in the air. I'm a little bit torn on this for a couple of reasons. I think Lopez's pride is going to essentially dictate that he look for a rematch. He thought he won the fight. I don't, but he thought he did. And he might decide to force the issue. Now, I don't know the specifics of the contracts involved, as I mentioned. He might have an immediate rematch, but because it's a mandatory challenger, he also might not. Um, that I think that was part of the reason Anthony Joshua did have an immediate rematch against Andy Ruiz. Because Ruiz was not the mandatory challenger for that fight. He was a replacement. I'm, I think that's correct. Um, because if memory serves, Joshua was supposed to fight somebody else on that card. That fell through, but they wanted to keep him in uh, New York on that date. I think that was his Madison Square Garden fight. Uh, and because they were able to get Ruiz to step in and take the fight, uh, they were able to finagle a little bit of the contract language. But, uh, just by way of a other example, if Anthony Joshua had fought Alexander Usyk in the United States, Usyk was the mandatory, and consequently, there was a lot of discussion about how Joshua would not have been able to get an immediate rematch uh, with Usyk if that fight had taken place in the United States, where it, uh, whereas it took place in London, and the laws governing boxing in England are not the same as the laws governing boxing in the United States which itself varies a little bit state to state. Not not for the relevant uh, statute, I seem to recall, but uh, point being, the, he might still lobby for a rematch and they might still choose to make one, but there's other complicating factors here rather than it being a immediate guaranteed thing, a, a immediate mandated thing, absent some other considerations, injury and other timing issues and whatnot. It's... My hunch, if you're trying to be pragmatic about this, um, Lopez should just bag lightweight and move up. Now, it's unfortunate for him in the sense that this loss doubly hurts here because if he was moving up as the undisputed, quote-unquote, or air-quote unified lightweight champion, moves up to 140, he might have been able to make a case... And certainly the public would have been behind an immediate fight between him and Gervonta Davis at 140 for, I think uh, I believe Davis has one of the belts at 140. I forget which one. That case could have been made. If he moves up on a loss, he doesn't necessarily... Look, there's still going to be interest in that fight, but fan interest in boxing does not carry... does not carry the same weight it does in MMA for better and or for worse, depending on the scenario. It, it goes both ways sometimes. Uh, at this point, Gervonta Davis could make him fight a legitimate, you know, proven 140 pound, 140 pounder. 
before he before getting a title shot. And it's not like Tank Davis would be out of line for doing that. You and me might go, I just want to watch Teofimo Lopez and Gervonta Davis. Is this really that hard? Well, sometimes it is. So that would be that would be my inclination if I were advising him just you were leaving 135 anyway. It's a bad weight cut. Look, he might get a rematch and beat Cambosis if they fight again. He's more than talented enough a boxer to do it. But I I just question how much more this guy lost over a year of his career being screwed around by Triller. And that's the long and the short of that. Like that phony promotion took 12 months of one of the brightest and most get, one of the brightest stars in the sport and just flushed it down the toilet because they're a joke. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm a little bit bitter at Triller uh, on occasion. The dumpster fire that that is. Uh, so he might, and I, I just question if you're not going to make a real effort to stay at lightweight you know you might try that to try and command a bigger fight at 140 for your debut there but i i just don't know you know, i you might be better off cutting your losses moving up publicly say the weight cut was a big part of the problem which I mean, even even if that's not the the full truth, it's certainly true. It's certainly believable, and probably carries a degree of truth that no one's really going to argue. And look, you might have to take a tough fight at 140 before your title shot. Now, okay, that sucks. Or you can, you know, try to finagle a way back to 135's belts, then move up. It's just, I don't know. It, there's a lot of calculus there that involves think variables that I don't have access to, so. And look, ultimately, if Lopez just wants this rematch and wants to get those particular belts back, he can try to force that issue just because he wants to. But if he was always vacating this division, I I do think maybe he should just bite the bullet now, move up, get it over with. And you know, so I'm too big for this weight class. You know, the weight cut was a big problem. Moving up, moving forward, I'm going to be champion again and just keep going uh so this but big win for cambosis uh overperformed as much as lopez underperformed which he absolutely did uh it does need to be noted that cambosis had what the fight of his life out there you know a great performance for the most part so tons of credit to him was a pretty good fight uh and We'll just have to wait and see how that shakes out. As mentioned, uh, if Lomachenko wins in December, and I favor him to do so, he can force an issue where he gets that rem- where he gets the title shot, and he can make Lopez either sit on the sidelines or, if they can't do that rematch, if Lopez wants the rematch, but they can't do it in a timely fashion, I think he should just cut bait. I mean, it sucks to change weight classes on this kind of performance, but you have you don't have forever, man. And he's a young guy. He's got longer than most. Don't get me wrong. But you just lost a year of your career. 
because you got into a pissing contest with Bob Arum. Now, that's not the only thing that happened. If Triller doesn't do what they did... Look, if Triller doesn't exist, the world's a better place. But if they don't bid on that fight, if it just goes to Eddie Hearn on what he bid, this fight happens seven months ago? Six or seven months ago, certainly. Like, before the summer, or very early summer, uh, this fight this fight happens in that maybe the results entirely different if that happens in a more timely fashion. Who knows? I'm not again at that point we're changing way too many variables to draw a strict one to one conclusion. But the point is you you wasted a year of your career in this circumstance. You don't have too many of those to waste. Even a young guy like Lopez. You can't give up 12-month stretches without a paycheck like this in a sport with a limited shelf life. Now, as I mentioned, he's young. He's not he's not beating down the door of retirement at all. But this has to be a one-of. This has to be an aberration in the trajectory of his career, not the norm. And if this gets tied up with other fighters and other contracts... This might get really messy for him. And you don't want to be on the sideline that long. You want to heal up. He got lumped up and he got cut up in this fight a little bit. You know, you want to heal. But you want to be back in action, you know. But no later than July. Like, July would be a long layoff. July of 2022. So you want to be in action around then. Uh, Before, if you can swing it. But... That would kind of be uh, the, uh, the the latest you want to go, barring some kind of injury complication. And if this is going to get dragged out beyond his control, again, just cut bait. Uh, that band-aid's got to come off at some point, you know. Uh, anyway, that was that fight. Great fight. Better fight, if all you care about is the action. At 122 pounds over on Showtime. That fight took place on DAZN. Over on Showtime, to unify the 122-pound belts, which is... Super Bantamweight? That's either Super Bantamweight or Light Featherweight, I want to say. Because I think Featherweight is 125... Otherwise, 120-something. It's not 122. It's uh, 125 or 126. Uh, Anyway, 122-pound fight. Two undefeated fighters, uh, Stephen Fulton Jr. and Brandon Figueroa, had a barn burner. Uh, These two spent 12 rounds, basically all 12 rounds, in fighting. Either... Either kind of in the clinch or forehead to forehead, body shots, uppercuts. Uh, the pace that these two gentlemen operated at was insane. Even for smaller guys, this was bonkers. Uh, this this fight was nuts. You had momentum swings. Figaro was able to hurt. Uh, I don't. I don't think he ever knocked. He didn't knock Fulton down. But there were a couple of rounds where you could see he hurt him, uh, the way he reacted. Fulton, you know, to his credit, rose, you know, persevered through that. 
was the slicker boxer. Figueroa was a weird guy. He's long and rangy for that weight class, but he likes to infight. Uh, Fulton accommodated him there and did better uh, through long stretches of it. When Fulton, Fulton also had a lot of success in su- he won a bunch of key rounds because he ultimately wins via majority decision. One judge had it a draw, the other two for Fulton. Uh, not by huge margins, but enough. Uh, he won a couple of key rounds by avoiding the infighting uh, with some really nice kind of defensive footwork, pivoting, and just catching Figaro when Figaro was coming in. Uh, if you haven't seen this fight, look it up. I had Fulton ahead by a hair at the end, so I, I think he won. Uh, great fight. Great pace. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot to necessarily add to that one, but it was again, it was a really, really good fight. Um, yeah, look that up if you haven't. Uh, that was that was great. That was some great stuff from both of those guys. Post match, Figueroa complained about losing. Like you do. Uh, they might try to do an immediate rematch between those two. I don't think 122 has a tremendous amount of. Bodies. I think in I think uh, in a way fights a di- fights a weight class lower. Let me double check that real fast. At the moment, I want to say in a way fights at fights at bantamweight, which is 118. 122 might be super bantamweight. Um. Let me double check. So, oh, yeah, it's got to be a tweener division. Yeah, super bantamweight is 118 to 122, with featherweight being 122 to 126. So, yeah, this was, for all the marbles, it's super bantamweight. Um, I might be, hang on, I might be talking out of my... I might be talking about my butt there. I might be mistaking. I might be confusing that with one of the fights on the prelims there. So just a second. Um, I want to double check that. Uh, it was junior featherweight. I think junior featherweight. Junior featherweight and super bantamweight are interchangeable in that respect. Like, this is one of those things. Some organizations will call the tweeners junior weight above, others super weight below. It's largely a semantic distinction there. I, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't wasn't uh, bunking around there. Um, there was another, because there was another title fight uh, with some of the smaller guys in one of the prelims. Might have been for this fight, actually. It was either for this fight or the... It wasn't... I, it might have been for the DAZN one. And it was another, you know, smaller weight classes, but, uh... Uh, yeah. So, anyway. 122 pounds. Yeah, it was a great fight between those two. Uh, they... Again, they were talking immediate rematch. Sure. I mean, I'm not gonna... I'm certainly not going to complain if they do so. This was a this was a great fight. You know, hook that into my veins.
Hey, that was that was a good that was a real good time watching the fights as far as that one goes. So, my thoughts on the uh, on that, such as it is, uh, I thank y'all for for those of you that you know are more MMA than boxing. I thank you for your patience when I choose to indulge talking about certain other combat sports on occasion. I would like very much to, uh, I've mentioned this, break some of the kind of stupid acrimony that exists between some of the combat sports. I hate to break this to y'all, but if you buy into that, if you buy into the acrimony, not that you can't have a favorite, like, fine, I, I don't I don't care. If you like one and you don't like the other, that knock yourself out, man. You like what you like, especially with combat sports. I don't care. I like both. Uh, if you have an acrimonious relationship, if you, you know, if you bought into the trash talk that the promoters did about each other, you got played. That's the promoters trying to sell their product and nothing more. Uh, in Dana White's case, it's a little bit that he's bitter that he can't actually promote boxing because the boxing rules and structures don't allow him to do what he likes to do. And he's a fan of boxing. I mean, look, one of the things about Dana, you know, say whatever you want to about the guy. I do, on occasion. He is a fan of fighting. Be that MMA or boxing. I don't think he does much paying attention to kickboxing, but maybe a little bit. But he's a fight fan. And he's a fan of boxing. You know, there's that kind of famous picture of him watching uh, Canelo and Plant while, uh, like, while Zhang and... Um, Rosnami Yunus for having their rematch, and I don't blame the guy. Look, trying to choose between which of those two fights you watch, you watch the first round or so of Rose and Zhang, you get a feel for how it's going. Yeah, watch watch uh, Canelo. He's a big star. He's a maybe the best boxer in the world. I don't. How you choose to rank him is a matter of individual preference, as is all pound for pound discussion. And again, kind of. You kind of throw your hands up in the air at that point and go, you know what, your criteria is slightly different than mine. If I adopt your criteria, I tend to think maybe yours is a little bit more correct. Whatever. That's a great big whatever. But I, I talk about it here in part because, you know, boxing's awesome. You know, High-level boxing is awesome. And if if it's not for you... I am not here to tell you anything other than I enjoy it and I choose to take a little bit of time to talk about it on occasion. So, I thank you for your indulgence as far as that goes. And let's get rid of the acrimony here, yeah? It, there's no... Re it, it, it's just exploitative on the part of promoters to rile up fan, their fan base. That's all it is. Alright, uh, moving on back to MMA. Let's go through these fairly briefly here. Um, Dan Hooker made some waves when he indicated he wants to return uh, to a... Whoa. Okay. Sorry, I misread my schedule here. Let me... We'll get back to Dan Hooker in just a second. Let's rewind. I'm not going to edit that out. I'm just going to sound like an idiot and deal with the consequences. Uh, we have a lightweight title... F uh, not title fight. A l clash of lightweight contenders when Islam Makashev will fight Benil Daryush set to be the main event of UFC on ESPN plus 61. That's February... Tw oh, 20-something? Hang on, and I will confirm that. Um, I think that's the 20... Yeah, the 26th. Yes. Um, 
That might clear the way for Justin Gaethje to fight the winner of Dustin Poirier and Charles Oliveira. Assuming there's no shenanigans there, which is a pretty big assumption. Also assuming Poirier doesn't make good on some of his teases lately. He's occasionally teased about moving up to welterweight if he wins. I I find that highly unlikely. But crazier things have happened. Uh, in theory, it clears the way for that. Um, the winner of Makashev and Dariush should get the next title shot. Again, barring the craziness. Uh, that's a nine-fight winning streak in Makashev and a seven-fight winning streak in Dariush. You're going to give him five rounds. The winner of that should get a title shot after that fight. Straight up. Um, uh, my take on that. It's a darn good fight, too. I, I'm genuinely excited for that one. That that could be really good. You know, Dariush, Dariush over five rounds is a bit of a mystery, and his cardio has been iffy in the past. Um, we also haven't seen... Have we seen Makashev over five? He's been scheduled for five. I uh, I think his fight with... Um, oh, who was... Was that Tiago Moises? I'm going to double check that. Because uh, he had a fight that was scheduled for five, his last fight. No, that was the Dan Hooker fight. Oh, yeah, it was Moises. Yeah, that went into the fourth. It looked pretty good. Uh, so... I'm curious about that. Uh, Dariush is a very good grappler, both offensively and defensively. Lately, he's been bringing the dog, though. Like, he's been... Dariush has been in some wars, man. <laughs> he is just... He's brought the hell brought the hell from leather. It's a really good fight. Really looking forward to it. Winner should get, the, should get a title shot. No ifs, ands, or buts. All right. Now, I can talk about... I can't believe I misread my notes like that. All right. Now we can talk about Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker indicated he might be eyeing a return to 145, which is where he made his debut in the UFC. Um, if he's able to do so safely, I can see why he might do that. He's hit a bit of a wall at lightweight. He's a big guy for lightweight, very long, very tall. Um, if he's able to safely make 145 and his body's a little bit sorted itself out, or, you know, he's discovered new weight-cutting techniques or whatnot uh, to make that safely. Uh, I don't object to it. Look, weight... A lot of us, a lot of people don't like weight-cutting at all. I appreciate the fact that you don't like weight-cutting. I don't... There is not a legitimate alternative. Uh, there's other... There are ways to kind of deal with it. One of them is more weight classes, which the UFC won't do. For a variety of reasons, some of which are understandable. But there's not really a specific, uh, you know, procedure to curtail or to curb it in ways that, I mean, and look, you out there, if you're saying but one championship, no. One championship has provided zero evidence of what they do. Zero when it comes to their weight cutting. Look, do I like the idea of hydration tests and you know or, or some kind of medical test to make sure weight cutting is done as safely as possible yeah i don't like weight cutting will kill you like this is not a you know that's not a joke it's a miserable experience i'm but there are weight classes there are weight classes for a reason and as long as there are weight classes there's going to be weight cutting you 
there's no real way around this that we have readily available at the moment. If Hooker can safely and consistently make featherweight, and that's where he wants to fight, at some point, he is accountable for what he wants to do to his body in that respect. Uh, I can't be there with him, you know, neither can you. Watching everything that he does, that's just not feasible. And some and some guys are just good at cutting weight. You know, I Glayson Tebow made 155 consistently for the vast majority of his UFC career. I don't know how. I don't know if he had look, I don't know if he did it straight on the up and up. I don't know if he and was just really dialed in. I don't know if he had some kind of uh you know, pharmaceutical assistance that he just didn't ever really get caught on. I, I don't know. Some guys are good at cutting weight. And if Hooker's able to do so at 145 again, you know, he might... I don't think he's going to fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, they're teammates, pretty much. But he might. He's... He, Hooker's a savage, man. He might. So, curious to see what he might do uh, at 145 if that's where he wants to go, if he wants to return to that division next. Uh, all right. Last thing here on my notes, Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker 2 is being eyed to headline UFC 271. That would also be a February, the February pay-per-view. Um, we have a loose date for that. I imagine it's a little bit, it can't be too fungible because the UFC only runs on Saturdays. Um, no venue or, you know, location beyond that, but they're, they're, they seem to be dialing in on that particular event on that particular date. So good. Um, I, their first fight was a lot more one-sided than I thought it was going to be, but I think Whitaker this time around will fight that fight very differently. I still favor Adesanya, but, uh, I'm looking forward to that fight. I was looking forward to their first one. Can't get here soon enough. Love that fight. Uh, okay. That's what I have for my notes. Let's check Twitter very quickly and see if anything crazy has happened. And if not, we will get into plugs and get out of here. Nope, nothing new. All right, let's get into plugs then. So, what do we got this week? Uh, I did my usual spate of coverage this last week in addition to a handful of in, of podcasts. Um, we, there was a Damn You Hollywood for Ghostbusters Afterlife. That was myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina. Uh, we had a pretty good time talking about the Ghostbusters movie. So, uh, the new Ghostbusters, so give that a listen over on Damn You Hollywood. We also did a Damn You Hollywood for the uh, more or less direct-to-streaming Black Friday film starring Devin Sawa and Bruce Campbell. Shorter, shorter uh, (laughs) podcast, but yeah, again, we had a decent enough time discussing it. A bunch of Metal Hammer of Doom stuff. Uh, And as mentioned earlier, the uh, watch-along for Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosos, if you're interested in Mark and I doing that live. Uh, you can watch it after the fact. You can fire it up, watch it along with the fight, uh, have a good time there. All right, this week, Damn You Hollywood for Encanto, the latest Disney movie that will be on Monday. On Tuesday, a Damn You Hollywood for Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. And, let's see, that's a re-air. I think that's it for me. Oh, sorry. December 1st, Wednesday, a triple feature of MMA-themed video uh, movies. Bruised, Born a Champion, and Warrior. 
the search continues for a truly great mixed martial arts movie. Um, but Mark Radlich and I will have a brief discussion of all three of those. So I've got three nights of back-to-back podcasting. That'll be fun. And my usual spate of mix of coverage over at 411mania.com. That's AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday, MLW's Fusion Alpha on Wednesday, Friday Night SmackDown on Fridays. So if you're interested in my takes on professional wrestling and my coverage of those events, give those reads. They're in the they're in the uh, blip, wrestling zone of 411mania.com. Saturday, UFC and ESPN 31 in the MMA zone of 411mania. We'll be back here next week to review UFC on ESPN uh, ESPN 31 and preview, I believe, the last event of 2021. Don't know why I slipped into an accent there, but I did. Uh, no, not quite. The last pay-per-view of 2021, UFC 269. December 11th, man, is a heck of a night for fights. Um, I believe Lomachenko's fighting that night. Uh, we have this. There's like three different boxing events. Uh, there's the UFC event. It's busy, busy day. But 269, Poirier and Oliveira will give you the full preview for the UFC's last pay-per-view of the year uh, next week. So please do tune in for that. Until next time, I'm Robert Winfrey. Thank you. Uh, you know what? Hang on. Just before I go, stop. Don't, don't, don't stop the podcast yet. Hang on. Um, as we are post-Thanksgiving here, I just want to very, very briefly... Uh, I mentioned this last week, but I'm going to say it again because it's appropriate. The podcast experienced a pretty good surge of growth uh, in the month of November in particular. I don't know exactly what caused it, um, but I thank you all, who have, uh, whether you are new or old, to listening to this particular program. I thank you very, very much. Uh Please continue everything that you do to help us. You can like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend. If you're on uh, Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating, uh, a star rating, and leave a written review if at all, if that's at all possible, and it should be. Uh, any of that that uh, that you're able to put forth, it helps tremendously, and uh, the growth that we experienced was. I don't talk specific numbers, uh, but it was significant uh, relative to what we were doing before so i just wanted to say thank you again i'm very 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 grateful for the success that came to this particular show recently and that's all because of you i do everything that i can over here but a lot of this is kind of word of mouth and maybe some of you found me on other podcasts that i do and became interested if so i thank you very much for that as well and for sticking around so just wanted to express my gratitude uh again to all of you for everything that you do so thank you thank you thank you until next time i'm robert winfrey stay safe out there and continue to be well be safe and behave